The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning, good morning. Okay, everybody, simmer down now. The fun is over. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's like, that's one of those sermons. I'm going to watch the kids today. So um, two things before, before we dive into our sermon the first is a little bit of, of housekeeping from our elders meeting that we had on Tuesday. And I know this is an announcement that some of you it, it will not matter to at all, and others it will matter to you a lot. Um, and that is, the elders have been wrestling for a while we, with some of the language in the Apostles' Creed that has been confusing and not clear for uh, for people for a while. About every other week we have someone come up and say, are you guys Catholic? Um, because the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is very, very old, um, and we say with people around the world who, who affirm this creed, um, we say it because it does just mean that we are part of the universal church of Jesus, which means the, the church that has come before us, the church that will come after us, the eternal church of God, we are part of that church. That's what Catholic means. Um, but we know people have left confused, and the point of creeds is clarity of faith. It isn't confusion. It's not for you to leave and wrestle with what you're saying. And so you will see the language today says Holy Christian Church. Now, if you don't approve of that, talk to Bob. He, uh, that was ultimately his suggestion. <laughs> I think it was a really good one uh, for clarity, as we say we're a part of the Holy Christian Church. Um, so, uh, but seriously, if you, uh, you want to talk to me about it, I'd be more than happy to, to wrestle with that. There is something we talked about as elders. There's no way to replace the glory and grandeur of the word Catholic. It's so rich. It really is a rich word. So, um, but I think this is more clarifying. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, as we pray before the sermon, and oftentimes we give time for, for prayers of confession, uh, we want to focus our prayer time this morning for, for some of those that are sick. Uh, Steve Kelso, who is a dear friend and has been a part of the church for a long time, Rue's here with us. Um, he's in the ICU now. He's been um, struggling for a long time with heart failure, and his, his heart's working about 25% capacity. Um, his kidneys are failing right now, and um, they're, they're really just <clears throat> trying to find something that will, will help him um, get his heart going and stronger right now. So, so it really is an urgent, immediate prayer that we can come before God with, which we will um, pray for you. And um, I know a lot of you guys are saying whatever we can do, and we'll also let you guys know through the refuge email if we know of ways to support them. So pray for Steve with me, and then we will get into the Word of God together. <laughs> God, we call you Father. You've given us that language to call you Father. 
because you are our dad, just like I think of Elliot saying to me, I need you, dad. That's what we're saying right now, God, we need you. We need you to be right now present with Steve in the ICU. It feels always very reckless to pray for healing, but we know you are a God that, that can and does heal. You've healed every sort of ailment. You've even raised the dead, and we know that you can heal Steve. And so we do pray for that, God. And we pray for, uh, for Rue as she has been so faithful and has carried even more right now as Steve's been in the hospital and been, been um, just struggling to move from couch to chair to bed and just around their home and just feeling so weak. God, as she carries taking care of the home and taking care of Steve, God, give her strength. And I pray you'll just give her just glimpses of beauty and joy to sustain her sweet time with you. So we pray for the Kelso family. Together as a church, we say amen to this. God, now as we enter your word, please give us hearts that are receptive. Give us ears to ear, hear. And God, if we're challenged by something, if you show us something that is uncomfortable, I pray that we won't just let it go. I pray that when we leave, we really will will hold your word and take it seriously and obey it. So we can be transformed. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The intro to our sermon series on life savings is this. The way you spend your money matters to Jesus. Jesus isn't after your money, he is after your heart. And he knows that the quickest way to find a person's heart is to follow the way they spend their time and resources. In this sermon series, we will learn to invest in what matters most. My big question today is, where is your focus? <clears throat> we, probably should have, we probably should start every Sunday with that, right before the kids really get unleashed, right around song one and a half. <laughs> where is your focus? <laughs> what, are we, what are we looking at? What are we focused on? <clears throat> when I think of focus, I, I immediately think of how excited I am to watch Elliot strike out for the first time in baseball. Genuinely. I think playing baseball, stepping up to the diamond, being the one everyone is watching, having all the weight on your shoulders, and striking out is one of the most formational, foundational experiences a child can have. Because they will wrestle in that moment with all of life. Will I ever be good at anything? Will my parents still want me? Have I let everyone down? And the answer to some of those questions might be yes. <laughs> but what will we do? How will we help Elliot improve? What we will do is we will <laughs> be the obnoxious parents from the stands going, what? Keep your eye on the ball, Elliot! And why do we say that? Because it makes a difference. If you watch the ball, it is pretty likely, given the person, (laughs) that you will hit the ball. But why do we not? 
Well, we're not trained to, right, yet. That's not our instinct yet. It's not natural for us to do that yet. But in time, if you train yourself to watch the ball, you will likely hit it. You will learn to focus where it matters for that moment. Well, what happens if you can't keep your eye on the ball? You become a cross-country runner. (laughs) That's a joke, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But many of us... (laughs) I was a cross-country runner, okay? uh, It's like when homeschoolers make fun of themselves. Okay. Many of us reach adulthood and find out that the, the ways we should have been learning to focus, the things that would have been helpful in our lives if we would have learned, not necessarily just keep our eye on the ball, but keep our eyes on what is most important, that we would, have, we would now maybe be people that we, we ourselves would like to be around a little more, right? People that... We maybe budget our money and our time like we should. We build relationships. We don't break relationships. We clean up after ourselves. We know how to manage our emotions. All those things because we know really what to focus on, right? Where is your focus? Well, there is a focus that can align everything else in your life, and that is ultimately what we're talking about today. There is a focus that can align everything else in your life. And that focus is this. When you see the world as a gift from God in relationship with God. You get that? A gift from God, but in relationship with him, your view of everything else will be placed in its right perspective. And that's what we see here in Matthew 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you um, don't, you can read on the screen. We're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to read all the way through verse 24, but we're going, to, we're going to really focus on verses 22 and 23. So here, starting at 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And just to focus us again back on what we're Looking at today, let's read 22 and 23 again. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So to begin with, what what I want to do is, we have been given two body parts. Last week, the heart, yeah, store up, uh, what does it say? For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And then we turn to the eye is the lamp of the body. And there's actually a lot to learn by Matthew, uh, recording the words of Jesus, talking about these two body parts, the, the heart and the eye. Now the Bible, 
to my surprise to some of you, is not a biology textbook. When it says heart and eye, it's, it's not asking you to, <laughs> when you say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like no, none of us are ripping out our hearts and putting them in a safe somewhere, right? Immediately we start reading this poetically. We start reading it as a spiritual function, not necessarily a biological function. And those functions are this. The heart, when we say, where your treasures, there your heart will be also, the heart is the center of one's being involving emotions, reason, will. Where your treasure is, there your identity, your emotions, your reasoning, everything will go in that direction. Now, when he says, but the eye is the lamp of the body, what he's talking about there is the eye reveals the quality of one's inner life. It reveals the quality of one's inner life. And so when, we, when we're grappling with money, in the heart it's talking about greed, which is ultimately what I want most, right? I'm just going to gobble it up, get more and more of it. What the eye you're considering is envy, which is what I want from somebody else, Right? What isn't yet mine, but I'm taking it in, right? I'm trying to form my identity through what I don't yet have. Where the heart is often about accumulation, the eye is about comparison. And comparison is the loneliest place you can possibly be. We've talked about this before. Comparison either makes you better than somebody or worse than somebody. Never in comparison are you the same as somebody. So you're always lonely when you compare. Now, <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. What does this mean? Well, there's actually a, a quote that no one really knows where it started or came from, and I think it really originates from this verse. Cicero then said it, Shakespeare said it, a bunch of people, which is the eye is the window into the soul. And I think that is exactly what it's saying in Matthew 6, which is this. It isn't what you see necessarily that affects you, but the way you see it. The way you see it. Think about it this way. If you are looking through binoculars, you've probably done this growing up, unless it's positioned right, you can't see anything, right? If you're not looking the right way, or let's say you... Peter Steinle reminded me this week of this. He was, um, he was like, man, I should go to all the coffee oasis and, and clean the windows. And I'm like, I never noticed them, right? But, but he, you know, the way as a, as a master window washer, it's like, it's challenging to see through these, right? If, if a window is smudged, broken, in some way inhibits your view, it, it will create a clear, unclear picture of everything you see, and that's exactly what it's talking about here. The way you see it, if you see the world negatively, bitterly, cynically, lustfully, it will affect everything. That is the way the eye is the window to your soul. Literally, your soul, as it says here, really can't be healthy unless... The way you see the world is healthy. And then what it does is it is magnificently helpful and it gives us three diagnostics for the soul. That is, do you have healthy eyes? Do you have unhealthy eyes? 
Or are you just straight up blind? Are you spiritually blind? So let's dive in. The first soul diagnostic, do you have healthy eyes? Are you focused in the right direction? That is Matthew 6.22 when it says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be healthy. And I just want to just say as, as we get into this, this is some pretty dense text we're getting through. So we're just going to stop and take breathers occasionally <laughs> because in these two verses, it is amazing what Jesus is packing in here. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What is a healthy eye? And the, the King James translates it correctly where it says this. Instead of saying, if your eyes are healthy, it says, if thine eye be single. If your eye is single, which literally the translation is if it is uncomplicated or even better yet, fulfilling the design it was made for. Is your eye, your spiritual eye, fulfilling the design it was made for? Are your eyes complicated, distracted, not focused, and not fulfilling their design? And it is amazing how we can move towards not fulfilling the design for our spiritual eyes or even our physical eyes and just not notice. I think I was like nine years old when I got glasses and, and this is the, the story for almost everyone who gets glasses that you're like, all of a sudden you, you go out in the world and you're like, it's so vivid, right? You had just begun accepting the world as blurry, as unclear and then all of a sudden it's corrected and you're like, this is the way it was always meant to be. But what we go around spiritually is, is so many of us, we go around so unhealthy spiritually, but we just assume that is the way it is meant to be. And, and that isn't the case. Because what the purpose of your eyes is to what? Take in the world as a gift from God in relationship with God. If that's not the way you're using your spiritual eyes, you're not using them correctly. So if your eyes are healthy and you are taking in the world as a gift from God, all of it, the rustling leaves you can see when you finally have glasses, right, to the, the actual like definition of mountains and all that, right? If you finally see spiritually, you can see the way the world was meant to be seen. And then it says, and then your whole body, and this is so promising, your whole body will be full of light. What is light? Well, in 1 John, it says this, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in the darkness, we, we lie and don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So when it says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's saying, if you're seeing the world as a gift from God and living it out in a relationship with him, everything, everything in life, your relationships, what you buy, what you drive, how you work, everything is seen as a gift from God done with God, then the promise is your whole body, your whole self will be full of God. That's the way we were meant to live, meant to be. Matthew 5.14, you are meant to be the light of the world. With God in us, showing God to the world, image bearers to the world. So, before we get on, I want to answer the question that you probably all are asking, which is, why was Jesus being so complicated? Why didn't he just say that? Well, <clears throat> this is my answer, and I know if, 
if no one else, I know Joe Berg will appreciate this, which is maybe he made you to think poetically. Amen, Joe? Thank you. He gave an affirmational head nod. Why did God make food with flavor? Why did he make the sun to set in the west with incredible colors? Why? Well, because if God just said it like it is, as you think he should, you, you honestly wouldn't use it. I think about it this way. The most plain, the most plain, straightforward, like, come and see thing God ever did was the incarnation of Jesus. God himself, Emmanuel, walked among us and nobody recognized him. Jesus came and say it, said it like it was. We weren't able to see it. Embracing truth, understanding truth, living truth, understanding the way we're meant to live, that we are spiritually sick and we need to be transformed to be healthy, isn't going to be just say it like it is. It's going to be us like wrestling. God, show me. God, help me understand. And God's going to maybe tell us. Jesus is going to tell us in ways that create, uh, make our minds go, oh, wow. The eye is the lamp of the body. What does that mean? That means what I take in is literally filling me up. It's like lighting me up. But there is a way to be unhealthy. It says this in Matthew 6, 23. If your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. What is an unhealthy eye? Well, the, the literal word here is evil. If your eye is evil, then you will be full of darkness. Now, don't think you get off the hook really quickly when you think, well, again, comparison, I'm not as bad as that person. Because what evil is, what an unhealthy eye is, literally is just not fulfilling its purpose. Like, we like to think of evil as like those people that are locked up somewhere and just have done terrible things. The verdict of this text is to not fulfill the purpose of your eye. Not to fulfill the purpose you were made is wrong. Evil in this vision is that of Adam and Eve who were simply told, don't eat of the tree, and yet they did it anyway, and they were wondering, Man, why did my whole life change? It was just a single bite. And this is so helpful for us because we make small, incremental, oh, I know that wasn't exactly right, but I'm doing that anyway. And that, what, what does that do? It starts shaping us as people. It starts shaping our souls. It makes impaired vision where we cannot see clearly. That we... <laughs> We, you know, grow to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and we just aren't seeing clearly anymore. That's scary. So what is darkness? Darkness is when we don't see the world as a gift from God. We don't live in it in relationship with him. How complete that darkness can be. And that is what we are given at the end. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How scary is it to completely lose your way? 
and that is possible. How scary is it to be blind and not know you're blind? And that is very possible. There's a story, um, if you don't mind me borrowing an example from ancient philosophy. Um, Plato has a story he tells. It's called the uh, example of the cave or the analogy of the cave. And it's of these people who, from birth and as they grew up, they lived in a cave and they were chained there. They could just sit and look at the cave wall and, and behind them is an exit and then there's a fire kind of up that allows their images to dance on the walls. And so they grow up only staring at the wall of the cave and as the sun goes up and down behind them, there's movement on the walls, but their whole world is shaped by simply their own images cast upon the wall. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Well, <clears throat> one of them manages to wriggle free from their, their bonds and they, they go out the cave. But as they're approaching the exterior of the cave, there is the, the sunlight is so fierce and violent to their eyes they want to go back, right? It's not pleasant. It's hurt. It hurts. It's hard. And so many don't even go, right? They just run back. They hear it, but they go, they see it, they just go back. Well, if they keep pressing out, what will happen? Their eyes will slowly adjust, right? Eventually, they'll be able to see what leaves, mountains, <laughs> birds, right? The world for what it is, what it always meant to be. And this is a powerful example, and spoiler alert, it ends by the person going back in the cave and getting killed because no one believes them. But, <laughs> so that's kind of a sad ending to the story. <laughs> but the image here is, what does it look like to actually start seeing? And this is ultimately what Jesus is hoping you will see here. He goes, Man, what's so scary, what's so, so scary is that many of us have stopped understanding that we are stuck in the cave. Like, we were stuck in the cave without Jesus, that we were literally just watching our own image dance on the wall. And that's what we do when our, our uh, treasure's in the wrong place and our hearts get put there, right? When we, when we are living, looking at the world, not as a gift from God to be lived with God, but we're living cynical, bitter lives, comparing ourselves with other people. Man, I wish that if I just had what that person had, I would just be a little more content. My soul would just be richer. That is just your image flickering on the wall, according to Plato's image, which really is what Jesus is talking about. What would it look like for us to start seeing again? Is there hope if you are blind and vision impaired spiritually? And the answer is yes, amen, and hallelujah. <laughs> the one who actually healed physical blindness is the same one that we sing about all the time when we say, I once was blind, but now I see. We see this so beautifully, this rich promise in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes, as for you, you were dead. You can read blind there. You were dead, blind in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you followed the ways of the world. All of us lived that way at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires of our thoughts. Man, if you just desire your, follow your desires and your thoughts, you will live blind. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. We were evil. We were not living the way we were created to be, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead, even when we were blind, it is by grace you have been saved. Amen. That's good news. Like, like what, it, what it lays out there is just very, like, man, you, you are sick. You are spiritually, you are dead apart from Jesus, but you can be made alive again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. God doesn't want you staying there. He wants you enjoying the sight of his glory, sharing in his holiness, not doing life by yourself, but doing it with him. Receiving the world is a God-created world that you can enjoy and hear the birds sing and go ride bikes with your friends, right? As a gift from him, to be lived with him. I think one of the coolest examples of this is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had made it his mission in life to make the most money possible. He he became a tax collector, which meant he was rejected from his people, literally lived ostracized from his people, not accepted by the Roman government, not accepted by the Jews. All he did was make money. Money, 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 right? He was just about that life, and he did it so well, he got more and more of it. He was super wealthy. And you know what? He was also blind. He was dead and he recognized that. And so when Jesus came through his town, I love this story because many of you, if you grew up in the church, you're like, oh, is that the wee little man? Right? Because growing up, you'd say, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Just so insulting. But we do know scripturally that he was a small man. Okay? But, but he climbs up in this tree because he wants to see Jesus. He realizes that, <laughs> that he wasn't living a life that was satisfying, even though he won, right? He won, he had the money. But when Jesus comes by and he looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And you know what happens? It's this really amazing, this very cool thing that happens when Jesus comes to his house. It's just immediate transformation that happens. Immediate transformation. You get uh, Zacchaeus feasting with Jesus and the transformation happens that he just starts giving away his money. Man, talk about someone who all of a sudden starts seeing the world differently. How does that change from him being greedy, envious, just pursuing the wrong thing, and literally within a course of maybe minutes, he's just willing to give it all away? Is because he's seen the world differently. He's seen the world differently. And I want you to know, if you are wrestling with depression, with bitterness, with there's so much that will just create this the stress in our lives. And I th- there's a lot of reasons for that stuff, but, but some of us just might be wrestling with the fact that we aren't seeing the world right. So, where is your focus? Are you receiving the world as a gift from God in relationship with God? Because I promise if you are, your view of everything else will change. That's why it's sandwiched here between treasure and money but doesn't talk about it. It's because it's saying, man, if you start seeing everything as a gift from God, it will light up your soul in such a special way. 
such a special way that you will go out and you will be different. So different that maybe your friends will be like, what happened? Like you, you don't spend money the way you used to spend money. You don't, you don't talk like the way you used to talk. But like, you don't chase after those things that you thought were like great, but you're maybe even more happy. Like how does that equation work? Well, the Zacchaeus equation is you've met Jesus. And Jesus has literally resurrected your heart. He's taken you from the cave. He's put you in the daylight. He's taken your blind eyes and he's helped you to see. Jesus really can do that for you. So, I will leave you with this. Timeless wisdom, again, from a children's song. Which is, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. You guys know that tune? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. Not like Santa Claus. He punishes people. He's good. The Father wants to give you the good gift of sight, right? Be careful, little eyes, what you see, because the Father really, really wants to bless you with a sight of himself and an experience just to enjoy the world for the way he made it to be. So, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for thank you for pointing out this hard truth poetically. I'd, in your wisdom, you didn't just look at us and be like, "You're blind," but you're like, "You're not seeing right." There's darkness, God, and, and I, I know it's, as I wrestled with this text, as I, I heard it, as I received it, and I hope as we're receiving it today, um, you will, by your spirit with gentleness, love, convict us, help us be honest if we have not been seeing the ones we love, our own lives, this world, as a gift from you, to be lived with you, God, if we've set ourselves to just pursue something that's foolish or envy others that have something that really won't satisfy in the end, God, help us respond to your invitation to come into the light, to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a couple ways we're going to respond in worship. One of those is by taking communion, which we remember Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you take it, take it in remembrance of me. So we invite you to do that. If you don't... uh, have not put your faith in Jesus yet, or you're just sitting with something, like maybe during the sermon you realize there are some unresolved things in your heart you need to deal with, take time with it. God invites you into this moment to take time with what's going on in your heart. Um, If you would like someone to help you with that, we have some uh, people, I believe Peter and Grace are going to be over here at the side to pray with you. So let's worship together.